Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Aviation Spotters podcast. My name is Colin Moser, and uh, guys, this is it, the last episode of 2021. Yeah, you've made it with me over these past couple episodes, um, so I'm going to reward you with this absolutely phenomenal interview with the legendary Phil Derner. Uh, we are going to have an awesome, awesome conversation. But before that, though, guys... As always, just want to get a few little things out of the way. Uh, first and foremost is the episode with Julian. It was an amazing two-part episode. I really enjoyed talking with Julian, and I hope all of you guys enjoyed listening to Julian and just how much of an aviation nerd he is. And I thought that was just awesome to just let him nerd out, both of us nerding out. And um, yeah, the awesome two-part episode. So, Julian, thank you again. And um, I was told by a couple people that the buffer music between uh, this portion of the show and the actual interview was off a little bit. Um, I really do apologize about that. I thought I had everything set up uh, in the audio editor just right, and I do apologize about that. Um, If I have time, I will go back and fix it and re-upload the episode um, when I have a little bit more time. But uh, some other news, guys. So, great news. I have some shirts in the works. Um, We're getting all that ordered up. So, I need some help, though, guys. If you're interested in buying an Avisp shirt, um, I'm trying to get sizes ordered. I want to know how much I need to order. Like, I don't want to order 10 smalls if no one's going to wear a small and that stuff. Um, so if you guys please can send me an email to askspotterspodcast.gmail.com or DM me from my multiple platforms or send a message via the Facebook page, the Aviation Spotters Podcast. And if you're interested in buying a shirt, let me know what size you would want so I can kind of get a good idea of what I need to buy. And also, if you anybody out there knows how to make a website, I'm all for it. <laughs> it's time for me to make a website. I know people have been asking me about it. And I really think that it would help not just with swag, but also other announcements. And I'm thinking of kind of doing a cool thing of like a spotter's map, right? And the listeners of the show that can go on there and type in a sort of like a Google map sort of thing. And then just say like, hey, this spot's good at LAX or this spot's good over here at JFK or Denver or et cetera, et cetera. Or even like London Heathrow or Frankfurt, uh, Tokyo, for example, if I ever have a Japanese listener. By the way, if you do have some Japanese listeners, please reach out to me. I want to interview you. So I'm thinking about doing that. So if anybody knows people or you guys know how to do a website, please reach out to me and uh, I do want to talk to you. But anyway, guys, now on to the main interview with Phil. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to get straight into it. It's is a phenomenal interview. He is an OG av geek from the dawn of the digital camera. We talk about a lot of stuff. Um, Phil is from New York. He was born and raised in New York. And we do start talking about, uh, the day of the September 11th attacks. And so heads up, it is, it is a little emotionally rough. Uh, especially for Phil, uh, you'll understand why in the interview. But uh, I just want to give you guys a, a warning that we do talk about this and the effects of uh, 9/11 on him and the aviation community in New York City. After that, but uh, otherwise, this is a absolutely phenomenal interview with Phil. So without further ado, uh, let's let's do it.
right, everybody. We are here with Phil Derner from Riverside, California. And uh, Phil, thanks for joining me on this episode of the ABSP. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here, man. Awesome. Well, uh, I know we've been talking on and off for the past couple of years, and uh, I did a very short stint with uh, one of your programs, very, very short, a couple of years ago. Uh, just unfortunately, I didn't have the time to do that, but um, I thought you'd be awesome to come on because you have done some pretty amazing things for the aviation community. So I hope the listener is really going to enjoy uh, some, of the, some of the things that you uh, that you can tell. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's get into it, man. So where are you from? How you got into aviation and uh, how you got into aviation photography? Well, I grew up in, in Queens, New York, in the town of College Point, which is, if you look at a map, it's directly across Flushing Bay from LaGuardia Airport. And uh, as a small boy, this is all pre-internet, so I didn't have too much information to really learn about the airplanes, but I was just watching them outside my window all the time. And I had only a, a few books that the local library had that could show me how to identify certain planes, not not all of them. Uh, you know, Growing up, I was looking at aircraft. I, I didn't realize what they were until much later, and I didn't realize the, the gems that I was watching at the time at LaGuardia that would be gone uh, by the time I, I dove into the industry a little bit more. But I just always loved aviation. Then when I grew up, the internet kind of came around, and I started watching uh, airliners.net, looking at the photos, photos taken from LaGuardia with my town in the background, and just I couldn't believe, you know, the, the first generation of digital SLRs and what they were creating. Some of those photos were just absolutely incredible. And I just uh, meant to find a, a way that I could kind of practice that passion uh, was super exciting. So I had to get my hands on uh, on some some spotter glass and I got a, a nice Canon set up with a 400 millimeter lens and and that was it. And for years that's uh man that was just the greatest and i got to travel a little bit and then eventually when i was about 25 i started actually working in the industry as well uh starting off as a loadmaster for north american airlines doing uh defense contract work we were flying for the the department of defense uh flying soldiers to and from overseas all right so, yeah that's that's pretty cool so uh North American. So what were they What were they flying at the time? It was all uh, 757s and 767s. At most, they had 11 aircraft. And it was great. It was really cool to, uh, you know, this big American flag on the tail and, you know, spending time at military bases in the Middle East and uh, in and around Afghanistan. And it was really, uh, you know, from a, I went from a kid from Queens who had only been on a few plane flights, even as an aviation enthusiast. And I got hired, and three weeks later, I'm in Kuwait, and it was wow. just uh, a total change for a, a cocky New Yorker who thought that uh, I've, you know, I've got the whole world here in this greatest city. Uh, man, it was. Uh, I, I grew up fast working in that in that line of work. I bet. I mean, uh, that's that's pretty incredible. You know, three all of a sudden it's a culture shock, and um, it's kind of a little side note is we actually got to fly uh, a North American Air. A 757 from Boise to Hawaii, like in 2003, there's a charter uh, for one of the travel agencies that my dad was uh, was with, and so we flew on a North American 57 from Boise to think Maui and Maui back to Boise. So that's that's kind of cool, like in 2003. Yeah, I miss it. I really I miss that company. Uh, it was a small company. All the people that uh, that worked there, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of them. I run a few social media accounts 
uh, you know, that just kind of show the, the history of North American. They don't exist anymore. They haven't existed for, uh, getting close to a decade now. But, uh, man, what a, what a great company and take a lot of, a lot of pride in that. I've got, uh, I think one of every single North American Airlines airplane model that exists. And, uh, you know, that, that time in my life was, uh, very important to me. I collect airline tags or used to as a kid and I used to email or back then you'd have to like write letters, right? Cause this was like before, like a lot of, uh, airlines had like the, you know, correspondence that they do now. And, uh, we won't run to North American air and they sent me not just uh, like a plastic model, but they sent me the safety cards for all the yes. aircraft. <laughs> and so I, and those are like, I'm looking back at those cause I collect safety cards too, on, only on the aircraft that I fly. And I'm like, wow, those are some pretty, pretty prized possessions that I have in my yeah. collection. Yeah, the, the memories that are associated when it comes to collectibles, like the, the, the memories that we associate with a lot of these things is really, uh, is such a motivator for why I collect the things that I collect and yeah. things that I hold on to and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, we have a mutual friend of ours, Jimmy Dwyer Lindgren, who is a huge, huge aviation collector. He has some some pretty astonishing things in his collection. I know it. I think I uh, would have. I just saw him the other day. I was uh, oh, really? I visited him. Yeah, I was happened to be in his area. And, uh, oh yes, yeah, I saw you up in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's a really good guy. He's a really good guy, and I really enjoy. Uh, uh, I always enjoyed you know, hanging out and chatting with him, and his his collection and things he comes upon is just incredible. It really is. I mean, you're you get you're getting stuff that is like from the dawn of the jet age. I know when he was on here uh, talking on his episode, he was talking about his, his collectibles was like from like the 1950s to the seventies, you know, that transitional period from the piston pounder to Concorde pretty much in that 20 year span of just unimaginable aviation engineering. And this, the things that like, uh, for example, like the Boeing SST to supersonic transport that never came to be, he has so much uh, stuff with that also. Yeah. I mean, the, which is even more incredible. It's a whole nother story in itself, but um, yeah. But speaking of kind of Concord in New York area, so when did you start taking photos around? So you grew up near LaGuardia, yep. and all those gems. I mean, I only can imagine L ten eleven, seven two sevens, DC eights. I mean, the the whole, you know, all that good stuff. So when did you start taking photos around LaGuardia? Uh, early two thousands, I think around two thousand four. Uh, I think that my first photos were in 2002 2003 when friends who I, I would go plane spotting with other people and i had some little handy cam just kind of taking some some crappy video and hanging out with everyone who had the you know the really nice cameras before i had gotten mine and they would say hey let me take a photo with their camera so i had a few shots i had a photo on airliners.net before i owned a camera but mm. around 2004 is when i really started uh when i first got my own camera and it was just non-stop from there i just couldn't i would just walk a few blocks to uh the the college point shoreline i found all these different locations that i could take pictures from different angles i had been planning these spots for years oh when i get a camera this is where i'm going to be and i just i just knew it was such an unleashing for this uh you know, in a way, artistic expression. I knew exactly where I wanted to go and what, how I wanted to compose my images and uh, was uploading to airliners.net and Jeff photos and all that stuff. And uh, it was just great. And it was just a, a nonstop thing. And then I had my first trip to Los Angeles at the Airliners International Convention in 2004. And I was there for like a whole week. And for July, it was, the weather was amazing. It was very, 
there wasn't much uh, haze. It wasn't too hot. It was nice and warm, and the the, the sun was like perfect at that time of year. Just a little bit to the north, to, to where the light kind of banana peels on the north side of mm-hmm. of, the, of the aircraft. And uh, man, it was just uh, such an amazing week. It, it stands as one of the most exciting, most fun weeks uh, of of my life. Definitely aviation wise, I'll, I'll never forget that. And just to, I, I couldn't believe how many photos I took. Just thousands of photos. And this was at a time where you couldn't, you had to have many memory cards to take a lot yeah. of photos. The 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 data that that photos or what memory cards could hold at the time uh, was very very different. You know, you couldn't just hold yeah. down the shutter. You needed to be very selective in your in your shooting uh, when you're you're act, you know actuating the shutter. But uh, man, you know stuff like that, and and ever ever since, probably until 2011, uh, I just ended up not putting my money to keep my camera upgraded and up to date, and my equipment started to become a little obsolete, and I started to become frustrated with dust spots and you know what to do with my online what to do with my photos I, I was becoming a little frustrated with the online uh photo database options at the time and this is before instagram and all these different options came out and i was just like i just kind of started losing my my love for it honestly yeah uh you know the the, the process uh i enjoyed going out and i still did that hanging out with friends that was a big portion of, of what i why i liked it not just the cameras not just the airplanes but the people uh, who I got to do that with. But kind of going back to kind of starting from at this conversation, LAX in 2004, I can only imagine the variety you were getting. You know, they still had MD-11s passengers, L-1011, some of the 7-2s are still floating around here and there. MD-80s for American are still out there. I'd, oh, man. Yeah. That just, sounds, that just sounds absolutely, absolutely like a blast. The uh, ATA L-1011s were coming in and out each day. And it was, you know, just to get some some photos of, of those, yeah. you know, and not just, and I've, I've seen those before. I was, you know, ATA, I think, was my favorite airline as an enthusiast. It looked, they had a pretty cool every just like called the whole like beach vibe travel, you know, scene. all of them. Like, they had the ATA, the, the banner uh, scheme, like yeah. the wavy yellow uh, ribbon and the, the palm, uh, the palm trees, like. They couldn't do any wrong and, and look great on every aircraft they had. The seven three five L ten uh, DC deal Northwest DC ten. They had the, that, that, yeah. the hybrid Northwest yeah. ATA. Yeah, I have a model of that on my desk. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, those are I love. I, I my favorite DC just kind of going off topic again. My favorite DC ten liveries when KLM and Northwest did that collaborative <laughs> one yeah. where like it's a like half KLM and half Northwest bowling shoe. I still love the the multi livery. I remember I think United had. Uh, oh, the Star Alliance, right? It was a set, yeah, it was a Star Alliance. Uh, it was a 767-300, and I think it had like five or six schemes on one aircraft just in, in yeah. pieces. Uh, and that was a long time ago, and that was really cool. You know, and, and you would see that then. You, you kind of, at the time, I hadn't been involved long enough to realize that all of that was so temporary. These aircraft types, the paint schemes, like they're going to cycle out relatively quickly and you've got to really take advantage of that time. I go back and I look at photos from a decade ago, and I can't believe how like wow that scheme is gone. Like I'm never gonna, see, yeah. I'm not gonna see, with the exception of very rare opportunities, I won't really see many MD80s anymore. And just a few years ago, they were such a powerhouse, such a workhorse. Yeah. 
they were still they were still everywhere you wanted to be you could still fly in one and you know not just with american but delta and allegiant cool and then literally within like a year Mm -hmm. they're extinct yeah they're gone the 7-2 did the same thing you know the 727 was everywhere the 727 was the the aircraft the workhorse i think of the 80s and 90s and then it you know it just takes some event for them to kind of realize all right which is the the oldest and the 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 most dated aircraft that we have and just start dumping them. And when they dump them, they dump them fast. And the 7-2 vanished just as I really started to get into everything. And my digital SLR never caught an actual airline 727. It was always other, it was Donald Trump 727, which was based at LaGuardia. I was hunting that thing, getting so many photos as much as I could. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And even these days, you know, out in California, I'm kind of in the desert, but I get I get to see a lot of things that pass overhead that come to a local military base, and there's a cargo 727 that's been doing every holiday the last few years, every holiday season. There's a a 727 that comes into either March or Ontario, and you know, last two weeks or so, I've been watching it go over my head in the mornings, and it, you don't get to see 72s in the sky too much. So I I, no. I go out of my house for three minute increments because I know it's on its way. And I wasn't able to do that when I was young. We didn't have that technology. The technology for spotters these days is light years different than what it was back back then. Just real quick, I, I wanted to, I know we, we were talking about this before we recorded, so let's kind of touch on that. How different it was from when you started to how I wanted to how pretty much how nice we have it today you know we know stuff's coming we have alerts for but back in the you know back before really even flight aware it was go to the airport and you're, you have to get lucky or you know or you get the timetables out too, the old school time books yeah uh, you had to know there was a, a website called flightcom f-l-y-t-e-c-o-m-m and you can kind of get print out a list of what the schedule was for that day so before going to jfk you would just kind of print it off in the morning and you had an approximate schedule. You kind of knew type, uh, airline time, and you just kind of carried a few, you know, maybe three sheets of paper with you. And that didn't account for delays, you know, actual ETA. It was just what was scheduled. And sometimes they might cancel a flight. You'd have no idea, but it's this is, it was very, very vague. And, uh, we had that, and that's pretty much all that we had to go by. And, you know, you would print that off early in the morning or the night before because for us, we would get up at sunrise, and we were out there all day, whatever the weather was, middle of summer, middle of winter, freezing freezing your butt off. I mean, it was – we didn't have any of those resources. Uh, later on, I think around 2008-ish or so, there was a, a website called Red One Aviation where you can kind of – you know how you get like flight radar email alerts? They kind of had that. You could do that for like a couple aircraft. And I had that for Donald Trump 7-2. You know, VP BDJ was the registration. Oh, man, he's registered to depart. Cool. And I would be able to run out. And I have quite a collection of the of, of that. Uh, just and, you know, politics aside, whatever anyone thinks, that was a really cool yeah. aircraft. And and I, I don't think there's anyone out there that has as many photos of that aircraft as I do. And uh, a rumor, I, I heard that Santa is bringing me one of the uh, uh, the Moto Art uh, plane tag keychains 
from the Trump 7-2 because historically as an enthusiast that for me to own a physical piece of that aircraft as, as a keychain, and I love those keychains. I have quite a few of those, uh, and each one kind of has a, a particular meaning for me. And uh, I'm looking forward to maybe, if, you know, I think I've been an okay boy this year, so Santa should bring it. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, all those things. And I think of all those memories and the kind of effort I put toward trying to track. But these days, I mean, like I said, I can look at radar and I know... I've got about 30 seconds before I walk out to my driveway to look up and see this plane. I don't need to camp out at the airport anymore, which is heartbreaking in a way. You know what I mean? Like I said, so much of it is about the people. You know, it's, uh, I can't tell you how many cool aircraft I saw overseas and it was exciting, but just almost bittersweet because I didn't have some of my close friends right next to me to enjoy that with. And I want to share that with others, you know, and, Back in the day, someone would kind of catch wind. There are a few people who would learn of a cool aircraft coming, and they wouldn't tell anyone because they wanted to be the only person. And that's, you know, I didn't like hanging out with those folks. Uh, that, that was mm-hmm. unfortunate when people wanted to do that. The, the togetherness and the people, the fact that we, we kind of have this strange hobby and that there are other people who share in it the same way. And folks like Jeremy and, I mean, I could go down a list of people who have are real true friends, not just people that I talk about planes with. I mean, some, a lot of my closest friends, you know, uh, Tom Alfano, Mario Craig back in New York and, uh, Andrew Marino and all these different guys who are just like, some of my favorite humans, you know, it has nothing even to do with aviation. Aviation just happened to bring, bring me, uh, bring some great people into my life. You know, it, it really is a great uniter in the community. Um, when I first started in 2011, um, flight aware was there, but flight radar didn't exist yet. So, you know, you go on and plus mobile, like smartphones were still, you know, they're still not for the common people. Yet, yeah. You know, we're only what, 2007 with the iPhone, about five years. I didn't get my, my first smartphone until my uh, freshman year of college in 2013. So, you know, I was out there with my phone and I'm like, okay, this is coming out this time. And I write it down, go out there. If it's late, if it's canceled, I have, I have no idea. Right. I used to call my dad to say, Hey, is this still on time? Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's the one thing I agree with you is having this modern technology. It's like, okay, I can go to the airport, take this photo, then leave. But it is, it, it just takes away that, that something, that special something where it's, 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 just, it's a surprise, yeah. right? It's surprise and it's the adrenaline rush of like, holy crap, this just came in. I had no idea it was coming yeah, in. Yeah, it used to be fishing. You, we would go, we would exactly. row out on the boat and we know what's in the pond. We know it's there. We just don't know if we're going to get to hook it today. And that was a big thing. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, you know, it, it had its fun and for its reasons back then. And the, the hobby has evolved. And that's okay. I'm not trying to be old man. You know, all these young kids don't know how good they got it. Uh, I mean... The technology has afforded me so many different memories and opportunities now yeah. that aircraft that I got to see and still get to see because of the that, that technology. Uh, I, I think that that's, I think it's great. And I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I just think it, that it's, it's just evolved from that. But it was, it was, it was challenging. It was very time consuming back then. But, mm-hmm. uh, but man, just to be able to go and, you know, ADSB, that's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That has changed the game, and you know, don't get me wrong. I love Jet Tip. I love Flight Radar, Flight Aware. It has helped me out so much. But I mean, one of these days, I just kind of want to go 
just take a day and just kind of go old school, you know? Yeah. Go back to how we used to do it just just to kind of rekindle that. But uh, one last question before we move on, because you're from New York. One of the staples of, oh, back and back a couple years ago, 20 years ago now, uh, when you first started was the Concord. So do you have any memories or did you ever got any photos of the Concord before she retired uh, at a JFK? I didn't own an SLR when the Concord had its final flight, but I was there at Howard Beach uh, watching it. And I think my the first, uh, first time I ever had a TV camera in my face was uh, for a, a documentary, uh, Concord, The Final Flight, which I think was on Travel Channel or something I, like that. My, I have seen that documentary so many times. Yeah, and uh, my hair was upside down. I had no facial hair, and I had hair on top of my head at the time. It was very, <laughs> very strange time for me. Uh, and uh, it was great. It was, it was just cool to be there. There were so many people out. That was one big memory. But growing up there, uh, you know, as a teenager, I used to play, uh, I was in a roller hockey league in Queens and we would play in different towns. It was all outdoor and, you know, subject to weather and how cold it was. And we would play in Rockaway, uh, just South of of JFK over there. And you'd be playing in a schoolyard in a league. And then the Concord would take off over you and just, you know, just blind it and just a, a deafening sound. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, I have, I have memories like that about the Concord just, being a New Yorker and, and just being around it. But uh, I remember, yeah. you know, I was still spotting, you know, watching, uh, watching the Concord for a few years before it went away. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, whatever photos, there's some videos on YouTube, of course, but the Concord coming at you on approach and just looking like a, an, an eagle, like a bird that's about to, uh, about to just grab you by its claws and, and take you away like a fish out of the water. It's just such a cool view. And there's no, no audio equipment has ever been able to really replicate the sound that, that your ears need to hear. The space shuttle, a space shuttle launch is the same thing. It looks loud. It is loud. We all know it's loud, but until you've, you've really heard it with your own ears or felt it in your chest, there's, you, you really have no idea. And the Concorde is, is on that level a absolutely amazing turn of events happens in that one concord that's up in england at one of the museums up there that still has it's the battery it still has electrical you know it still has electrical power and all that and unless they can restore that thing back to flight i don't think anybody's really going to hear a war of a concord i don't think so ever again this but hey fingers crossed right (laughs) we always can hope i'll cross my fingers Uh, i'm sure yeah, it's uh, you know we might get a passenger seven two seven back in the air before we ever see a Concorde in the air again. But well, after that whole fiasco up at BFI, um, that was tragic. Oh, oh yeah. my heart to see that seven two being yeah. chopped up. Yeah, um, that was. I saw that, that, was, that was two tragic. years ago. I think last time I was in Seattle before this recent trip, and uh, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I hate that. It was even tougher that they scrapped it with the interior and all the avionics. And it's just not like, oh, some, you know, we're sitting in the museum avionics. These are like flight worthy avionics on a 727 where the parts are not. I mean, USA Jet or Colada would have loved to get on that <laughs> aircraft and take whatever they could. Yeah. And, and it's tough. Like I said, I mean, you know, I, I was looking forward to the holiday season because I was hoping that this one cargo 
uh, 7.2 would end up flying in, in my area, and it did, you know, which is, it, I was yeah. literally looking forward to that. It's holiday season. Put up the Christmas tree. Put up the lights. Get to see a 7.27 in the air. That was, yeah. that's totally, it's totally, since I moved to California, that has become a part of the, the uh, holiday tradition for me. And that's going yeah. to end. Like, I know that. There will be a time... Probably not too far in the future. You know, you get some straggler 727s that are going to be floating around Alaska or something. Who knows? But uh, there's no, you know, these these days are going to, to end. We're going to move on. And then they are in my lifetime, if I'm around, I mean, a 787 will become a rare aircraft. God, that's just really weird. Here, Here's one. Triple um, seven. Yeah. Triple triple seven is it. They're, the retirements have started. Think about yeah. you know the whole fanfare of triple seven, United Delta, uh, well, not really Delta, but United American, right? Um, uh, British Airways, Air France, A three fifty and seven eight seven. Man, they're slowly making their way in there, and man, it's just gonna be weird seeing triple sevens retired. You know, yeah. at that point, it's and that's what I think the next beside. I mean, the seven four seven. Unfortunately, we all. We know she she's on her final legs, right? And she'll be around for a while, but we all know the four seven. That's a that's a whole different yeah. whole different spectrum of av geekery, right? That's that's yeah, a day that everyone's I can't dreading. believe that I will get to I saw a, a you know and thank God for cargo. Cargo gives second life to so many different aircraft types. Well, like cargo seven two seven four will be going on until it's gonna be at the B fifty two of the cargo world. <laughs> I, I I hope. I hope. You know, but to not see passenger ones, uh, I, I, for myself, I happen to like windowless freighters. I like looking at a, like a FedEx seven five, just no windows. You mm-hmm. know, I just think it looks looks cool aesthetically, but it usually means that those aircraft are kind of on their way out. Uh, and the A three eighty, I mean, oh yeah, it was here for a blink and doesn't have a second life. Once it's, it's ending. Once it's done, it's done. You know, we're probably not going to see that. You know, it's not going to be a cargo bird for anyone. Unless someone can drastically redesign, like, I mean, if Airbus canceled it, it's pretty much dead in the water. But I don't know, man, if you might see one or an attempt to see one. I know just the, the cost of operations of those things are astronomical. But the other flip side, too, is, you know, they start parking, retiring. There are going to be some plentiful parts. So if a company is able to... Like for example, that Illusion sixty two M cargo, one of the last remaining Ill sixty twos that are flying, you know, now it's a passenger bird, and now she's still flying cargo. But you never know with an A three eighty, the parts would still be plentiful in a way too, because with Emirates still flying it, it still has technical support from Airbus, and um, you know all the parts of the birds are being retired. So you never know anything. Anything could happen. It'd be cool to see one. It could. It would. It would. And I, I. I don't know if I see it happening. I mean, you know, it took so much just for, you know, airports to be able to handle the the jet bridges for that aircraft, and to be able to load pallets up on a upper on a higher level. I don't oh, yeah. think there's ground equipment to to do that. You know, th- there are many reasons that this it hasn't happened yet. Why FedEx and UPS are kind of like, you know, it'd be great to have a high quantity lift like that, but. Can we really logistically load that aircraft? Yeah. And Isn't something internally, like an internal elevator, ULD lift in the aircraft would have to do at that point. One too, of these but. companies will need to make a whole new type of cargo loader to handle it. And, you know, and there, there are different variables. You know, it's more than just the aircraft. And I would 
that'd be cool to see. I never really fell in love with the 380. It's pretty incredible when it's right over your head. Yeah. You know, on approach to LAX from In and Out Burger, there's no, there's you know, there's I'm, nothing more incredible to seeing that. Man, that is that is wild. You just uh, you realize how how massive that is, and having that's one thing about aviation. You look at airplanes on on a a runway, and you're we're taking photos of them maybe in the sky. You know, when it's in the sky, it's against this you know blank sky backdrop. When it's on the airport, everything's big. Okay, when you have some comparison to something in our regular life to really compare it to, to realize that an A380 is like two blocks long. You know, you, how many homes could be, how many row houses exist in the length of an A380 or 748? Uh, people don't realize how massive these things are. Even when you're up close, I've been up close to a 74 and it's like, Oh, it looks really big, but you need that size comparison. And, uh, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, that A380 is massive and huge. Um, there's just you can't put that into words. You can tell people, you can throw numbers and football fields and all these things, but you've got to really, you really need to get up close and uh, have it fly right over your head to really have an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll realize why it's uh, they have to use super instead of heavy at the end of the yeah. sign. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Yeah, but uh, so before we kind of go down the rabbit hole of the A380 and as other things retiring, there's also something I want to touch on because you are you were the founder of one of the largest aviation networks in the world, um, New York City Aviation or NYCA. So uh, do you mind talking about NYCA and how it came to be and, and kind of what it is? Sure. It, it started around a, a glass of wine. And a little frustration about uh, the lack of, honestly, you know, we didn't have a lot of information back in the early 2000s. You know, we didn't have all these resources. And I wanted to, uh, there were maybe eight people. I used the number eight. It could be seven, could have been 14. But there was a very small number of very active plane spotters in New York City. And I, I used uh, a hosting, a free hosting service called GeoCities. Most people won't remember or know what that is, but just for documentation purposes, that's what it was. Uh, and I made a little online newsletter called Areola Aviation. <laughs> and it was just sharing some uh, local news and writing an article about airplanes in the New York City area. And uh, I had a mailing list, and that mailing list grew and grew until that free web hosting didn't work anymore. It just, you know, international attention to New York City. I mean, you know, spotters, we all know we have spotters in Europe who are super passionate and they love coming to the U.S. and taking, you know, vacations to come look at aircraft around over here. Uh, so I had to create a, a website and I made nycaviation.com. Uh, we were posting articles and different types of content, just trying to get information out there. And it quickly grew far beyond New York. We tried to provide uh, news and information and resources for spotters all around the country and uh, and internationally as well. And uh, it was great. Uh, social media was huge for us. Uh, after a few years, I brought on one of my good friends, Matt Molnar, and Matt really helped us out with our Twitter presence. Twitter was absolutely huge for us. We started interacting with a lot of uh, folks in the news media, and we started providing assistance and content and 
consulting for them, uh, analyst work. I hate the word expert, but you know mm-hmm. they would bring us on as uh, aviation experts, and then we started doing you know working with the, the news media. And uh, my good friend Matt passed away suddenly in, in uh, 2013, uh, and uh, but you know before that he really uh, he was he was everything. I, NYCA would not have been what it was without a lot of his efforts. Yeah, but but yeah, NYCA was uh, that was a lot of fun, and that was uh, my pride and joy for many many years. Yeah, and I remember you guys used to sponsor LAX spot days and New York City spot days and all that. And, yeah, uh, I was pretty awesome. I know you were gone by then. Uh, to we'll we'll touch on in a moment. Uh, I think 2015 is when I did one of the uh, the LAX spot days put on by NYC Aviation, which is pretty fun. Yeah, that was fun. And like I said, I mean, that 2004 in LA meant a lot to me. Like LAX, you know, and for you know, as much of a. a I talk a lot of trash about New York and how it's amazing and everything. And, you know, uh, I think New York City is the greatest city in the world. But when it comes to plane spotting, I don't know if there's a better city than than LAX. Some of the locations and uh, traffic type and everything like that. So to be able to bring some events out west, I think we had our first one. I think it was 2013. I think that we had our first uh, spot LAX event we teamed up with phoenix spotters at the time yeah and then we aligned ended up aligning that with uh with cranky flyer with uh, brett snyder with his uh dork fest and then yeah. just kind of made it just kind of combined our events made, made sure it was on the same weekend and even you know it's been a few years since i left nyca and handed it off to some other folks to manage and that event still goes and i got to go to it a couple months ago and i it was it was weird standing on the sidelines and uh, after the pandemic it was just great to see people i admit uh i got choked up quite a few times to uh, just the the excitement of seeing everyone and the 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 beauty of our hobby you know i think uh it really brings some good people to our world and it puts a lot of smiles on good people's faces so i really i really appreciate our hobby still after all these years yeah i remember one year what oscar muno's ceo of united airlines showed up to it yeah yeah, which is like holy crap! An airline CEO going to a spotter event like how how incredible is that? Well, and that's and I'm glad to see that. And it's been you know we we had a lot of years where where plane spotting was a battle. You know, I talked about early early yeah. 2000s. I mean, you know, we were getting stopped by police on a constant basis. You know, where we went to take photos had to do so much more with where cops going to kick us out, even if, though we weren't doing anything illegal or, or technically wrong in any way. Uh, you know, and, and trying to push and kind of advocate for the value of plane spotting. You know, the fact that we have an incredible buying power. Everyone in our lives, I guarantee that you, friends and family, if they want to go on a trip or they have a question about aviation or what airline to fly, they're going to know to come to you. If they want to buy a camera, they're probably going to go to you. And you have a tremendous influence in that. And that isn't even... That's social media aside. People just know that you are the person to go to for camera and airline travel tips and advice and information. And yeah. that kind of value and, and finding, I mean, and the airlines are always on the receiving end of bad press. So when you have a crowd of people who adore you and I mean, take advantage of that, you know, see, see the value in the, in the fact that these folks, uh, that you want them in your airline's corner specifically. And we're seeing that more and more lately, finally, you know, plane spotters and those with good social media followings and, you know, who have a, a stronger 
voice than than than, than others. Uh, the airlines are really seeing that, and and I'm glad to see it. I look like that, like Ryan Patterson, for example. Uh, yeah, he was actually he was a former a former guest on the show as well, and you know all his air to air shots that he takes and all that. And yeah, I got that like episode. Oh yeah, I li- oh good. <laughs> I listen, I listen. So uh, yeah, Ryan's, oh, Jeremy's. Uh, yeah, I'm up to speed. Um, oh, perfect. Well, thanks, thanks for your support. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and and it, it's great to. I've never met Ryan, and that's that's yeah. honestly kind of exciting to be able to listen and hear other people's stories because I know how Jeremy came up. Like I've known Jeremy for so many years. Yeah, uh, and someone you know who comes out of right field, if you will, uh, just because I didn't know them. I, I used to be so involved in the hobby that I just knew I could see all the up and comers. And then I kind of back away from it. And then you start seeing some names pop up, you know, you see Patterson and okay, cool. Like, and wow, look at this. Here's a whole different, uh, you know, very unique photographic angles. I could look yeah. at airline ads and I could still tell you the photographers that shot that photo just because I know the style. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and or websites. I'm like, oh, I bet they stole that photo from this person. And I sent a message like, hey, did you sell this to them? Because they're using your picture. How'd you recognize that? I know your style. Like that's just yeah. Uh, and and Patterson has has his style, and it's really cool to see you know to to see this kind of thing still happening. I like I like that there are true aviation photographers who are. Uh, I still love the photo, the, the photographic, uh, the artistic expression in the in the photos. You know, some people do historical, some people do artistic, and I love seeing that style from individual folks. And I could list the uh, photographers who I look at as like my sports heroes. You know, who are just uh, and they're always freaked out with the level of enthusiasm that I have over them. You know, and I see them like, oh my god, it's great to meet you, or they're like. Relax, pal. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, these folks are, you know, these folks are my sports heroes, and I love I love seeing that that true true talent in our hobby. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible to see just uh, the embracing by airports in the past, honestly, like five years. Um, like Orlando, Miami, Chicago has you know they got a spotter watch too, and LAX, you know, have like LAX made their own Facebook page just for photographers. Yep. Um, not just like some dude, no, like the actual Port Authority of Los Angeles made that yeah. for aviation photographers. Um, I mean, there's still some airports here and there that are like, yeah, uh, JFK prime example of one that still hates photographers. Um, yeah, JFK still struggles and, uh, the, the TWA hotel has had, uh, has frustrated me a little bit. Uh, as cool of a place as it was and i think the opportunity there is wonderful the port authority has certainly warmed up a lot and and i mean i could go down the list of of stories uh you know it's yeah them not being welcoming is is one thing or maybe not being a big fan or not necessarily accommodating too much okay but i mean we used to get you know pushed away by by police uh by port authority cops and uh you know, even as a ticket buying passenger, you show up, you take a camera out in the terminal. They were stopping you from taking photos in general. And what really? rule are you following? And uh, there's no, uh, you know, and it was cop by cop. It was very, very case by case. Sometimes a cop would show up and hey, someone called it in. I'm just, I'm, I'm supposed to show up. You guys seem all right and let us be. Some cops were like, you got to get out of here. Like, I'm not even on, on airport grounds right now. 
you know, yeah. and a Port Authority cop is telling me to uh, to leave, and my and my obligation was not just for you know I could I could get myself in trouble, but I also don't want to create a bad reputation for other enthusiasts who are, who are going to be yeah. standing in my place. So I've got to I got to remember the repercussions of my actions that they extend far beyond me, uh, for as much as I might be willing to to kind of stand my ground. Um, you know, other folks rely on on me and my behavior too, as they do for every enthusiast when we're out there. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's it, things things have changed for the better. They're not perfect, but they're. Uh, I think that they're much better than they were. Did you think that 9-11 had a lot to do with that, or were they always pretty sticky about this sort of stuff? 9-11 was it. There was no, no one cared before 9-11. On September 10th, you could... It, it, there, was, there was nothing. On, on September 10th, you could, uh, you could go up in the flight deck, uh, and the, the captain wouldn't mind showing you... Uh, how to fly an airplane in flight. Like that was a thing that was happening. 9-11 changed everything. And if you're looking at a plane or interested in a plane, uh, people, people called the cops on you. They would drive by and curse at you, give you the finger. Uh, they just treated you like you were just a bad guy sometimes. You know, 9-11 was, was all of it. And, you know, in New York, uh, you know, being a New Yorker and, you know, nine eleven affected me just as much as it did everyone else who who witnessed it. Uh, it was a, an incredibly painful and traumatic event for me, and and I've had it. I honestly, it took me a long time to realize how how difficult it's been for me to kind of cope and deal with it. I didn't realize that I that nine eleven created a, a problem uh, for me, and and to kind of be treated like I was a part of that problem as an enthusiast. Uh, yeah, that didn't sit well. That really that was an upsetting thing for a long time. I, I, I can understand that and just a lot of the stuff that came post 9-11 uh, not just for certain minorities in the country uh, but also for just people of aviation I mean you showed with the camera what, 2002 2003 yep. um, you know people are like why are you here why are you judging you know like you know yeah. it, it, America is still in a state of paranoia um, and that didn't help too when uh, what Amer- what was that American 275 I can't remember the flight number but it crashed into Queens after 587 what was it again 587, 587. American 587 crashed in uh, Bell Harbor which is like the end of the of Rockaway I mentioned Rockaway earlier so further out the Rockaways one village in, in the Rockaways called Bell Harbor is where that aircraft went down and I remember where I was and I heard about that and before we learned more, we just assumed it was another terror attack. And it's two months man. after 9-11. Two yeah. months. It, yeah. November, uh, I think it was November, November 11, 12 or 11. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I'm like, wow, we're, we're just, we're just under attack nonstop. This is, this is the new, you know, the, the new norm. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was pretty rough. And I, you know, I've been, I, I've been, I don't know how many others. I mean, I've been arrested or brought into brought back to the station a couple times. Really? For, yeah. And I forget that like those memories don't sit at the forefront. Like we're talking about it now and I almost forget about it because I forget that that's not, that was the norm, you know, where they would show up and I got placed in the back of a cop car and brought back to the station. Uh, Suffolk County cops at, at uh, Islip airport. Suffolk County used to handle the airport police there at uh, Islip and uh, a buddy, 
I was with a buddy and we were in a parking lot taking pictures and they came up to us and they, like our cameras were guns, put the cameras down and everything. And they what? put us in separate cop cars. They held us for hours and, and grilled us. Different sets of detectives came in and started an interrogation all over again. And, uh, and they, they kept my, my, I was doing video footage at the time and they held it for weeks, watched it all and poured over all that stuff before they finally mailed it back to me. And, uh, it was crazy. And then once in, at JFK, NYPD brought me back and we didn't stay too long, but yeah, they put us in the back of the cop car. There were a few of us and, you know, like back of the cop wow. car, back to the precinct. No, that no is... handcuffs. I've never had handcuffs on me as a result of plane spotting, but, but there's been, that was, that wasn't an uncommon, it wasn't that uncommon. It happened. Uh, to quite a few folks in, in different situations back then, you know, and that, so when I say things have changed for the better, you know, Port, Port Authority in New York and New Jersey may not be, you know, super accommodating for spotters. They, they have no obligation to be technically, but they're no longer putting folks in the back of the, uh, back of the cop cars and bringing them back to the station anymore. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's an improvement than in, than in yeah. itself right there, but I, yeah, I should I clarify guess. that Port Authority never did that to me. But, yeah, uh, it was NYPD in Suffolk County. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's how it was back then. That was the big fear. That is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I remember flying after nine eleven, and as a kid, you know, we're, we're all a little nervous, obviously. But you know, aviation security has improved, um, and all this other good stuff has has hopefully helped thwart any other events like this. And hope we never have to experience uh, an event like that ever again in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know off topic that you did, I remember, um, what you did the, uh, stair climb, uh, the, what the hundred flights of stairs, 86 flights of stair climb with all the, 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 the pounds on your like, yeah. backpack. This, uh, this past nine 11, uh, I found a, there's a, a mountain, uh, not too far from where I live. It's a Montserrat mountain in Fallbrook, California. Uh, since I don't have any skyscrapers, to do like the the regular uh, tunnel uh, tunnel for tower climb uh, or go up the the actual skyscraper, uh, I found a mountain that is marked for the floors of the World Trade Center. It's the same height as the World Trade Center, and uh, I raised almost four thousand dollars for tunnel to towers. Uh, went up with a weighted vest and carrying a fire hose, and uh, I did it in memory of a guy I used to play hockey with in Queens. His name is uh, Michael Ferris with uh, Engine Twenty Two. Uh, who died in, uh, uh, tower number two on 9-11. And, uh, you know, I was so honestly excited that I could kind of get to go do that and, uh, raise some money. It's a great, great foundation. Yeah, it really is. And, um, yeah, that, that stuff matters. I haven't, uh, you know, they say never forget. And, you know, it's, it's tough to believe that it's been, that it's been two decades. Uh, you know, those, uh, those tough, my memory is definitely fading on me these days with a lot of things, but, uh, but I'll, you know, that, that was such a, a life shaping event for me. Yeah. I, I remember I was in, I was actually in first grade when that happened. I remember I was in school and we, we, you know, we didn't know what was really going on, but we knew something was going on. And I, I still remember, you know, that's some of my earlier memories. I still remember that day as a kid and I'm, you know, you being there, obviously you have some more. Uh, painful memories which we don't have to talk about but you know uh, tunnels to towers this is a great organization and that's really awesome how you raised four thousand dollars for that really really awesome organization yeah I, I encourage everyone to go check out that that charity uh you know that time of year comes around they do they do a lot of great work for first responders and for veterans and uh it's it's the kind of work that that really matters 
and uh, you know, I hope to uh, hope to do that every year. Hope I hope I'm in good good enough shape and that I can find a fire hose to carry. That fire hose is still sitting on top of the mountain. I left it up top, and I, I had printed something out about uh, about uh, firefighter Earl Ferris, and uh, it's laminated and it's taped to that fire hose. And it, according to Instagram, other folks who were hiking it with the hashtag of that mountain it's still sitting up there so as long as i get another fire hose i hope to do that every single year well maybe i'll come down and join you one year to do that so i'd love to more than welcome i hope to to gather a group for it next year well you know i'll start training now and i'd love to come down there and maybe maybe we can make it a goal love it i love it all right so uh let's uh let's move it on i know it's kind of a little dark topic we're talking about but you know as we say never forget um so let's uh, let's kind of move it on, man. So you also have done some reporting for some. Uh, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, going on as an aviation expert, or as you say, you know, quote quote expert, right? Um, but you you you've been on a couple of TV programs also, lending your expertise. Um, I know you're on one called Air Disasters and a couple other ones, right? Yeah, yeah. The Air Disaster ones are still airing. Uh, some stuff that I filmed years ago. I guess I don't know if they were slow to kind of get it on air, but there's still new stuff that that I still haven't seen uh, that's still coming out. And like I said, I haven't filmed with them in such a long time, but that's still coming out. I've done quite a few TV documentaries. I did a lot of uh, network news stuff, both uh, you know TV programs and and you know live news work. Uh, so I, I kind of bounced around quite a bit for a number of years uh, with the news and documentary channels. And like I said, that all stems from NYCA, right? Yeah, yeah, all of it. I mean, social media, Twitter, especially, Twitter, especially in the early time, you know, it was it made strong names very accessible. So when someone, somebody notable, a news producer or an anchor, or anyone like that, was putting something aviation related online, it afforded the opportunity for people to respond to that and share some expertise. Not just, not opinions, not, you know, that stinks or whatever, or, oh, that's terrible, but to actually show that we were, that we knew our stuff. Yeah. And, and they, soon enough, the phone, the phone started ringing. The, you know, we started getting emails and invites. And Matt and I were both, you know, Matt was making appearances too. And, you know, Fox News was sending a limo to your house to pick you up and bring you over to the Fox and Friends couch. Holy and, crap. Uh, stuff like that. And, you know, before we started recording, I joked about, I was, you know, we're not doing video, just audio. I joked about putting on makeup, but I literally had yeah. to own makeup because sometimes they didn't have a makeup artist and I needed to powder my, my shiny, my shiny slick head. Uh, <laughs> but they would put makeup on me too, usually. And, uh, you know, but we, you know, I kind of made my rounds with uh, Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS. I don't honestly, I don't know anyone that we didn't have any kind of interaction with. Every every yeah. online publication, every TV news network, uh, every documentary channel, we had some kind of interaction with it in in some way, in some form over the years. So you wouldn't say so much as aviation journalism, just uh, this an aviation nerd website kind of a, pretty much is that's just a, you know let's go but you know, if we talk about the bare bones of it that's what it started out it, as. yeah yeah nyca was not intended to start off as a, a news media consulting organization it uh, was just it, here's some airplane nerds here's let's start some information it was for eight it, it people just, 
to share some information about New York plane spotting for about eight people, and it grew and grew and grew in the content. And as we as we grew, I mean, NYCA started in 2003. I started working in aviation in 2005. My own knowledge about aviation started to grow so I could apply more knowledge to the content that we were putting on the website. I started to meet more people, and we started to develop an amazing team of experts uh, and writers. You know, I mean, there was... We established ourselves as experts, as an or- organizationally. I wouldn't call myself an expert. I know I know three people who I would actually say are true aviation experts. The the industry is far too complex for anyone to really know enough to call themselves an expert. But I know three people who I would truly call experts. But uh, we were able to apply a lot of knowledge, and when the call went out for us to explain the realities of aviation because it's so easy to beat up on aviation and in the face of an accident or bad headlines i i it was a great uh privilege that i took very seriously to go and sit in front of a tv camera and explain to people why the industry was safe and to not to you know slam on the brakes of speculation uh and you know a lot of people in our industry love to get on and share their opinions and even conspiracy theories and ridiculousness and it's heartbreaking and unfortunate and i was you know trying to battle that constantly and make sure i was staying in my lane and 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 not speculating and saying oh we just don't know that yet Uh, or saying no to some interviews i mean i had news producers who were trying to get me to say certain things i'm like not that's i'm not i'm not going to participate in that uh, it you know the news world is a very very complex world with a lot of different personalities, but uh, you know like I said I'm, I feel very fortunate that I was able to have that chance to do my best to represent the industry in an, in an honest and uh, truthful way. Yeah, and that's that's something you have to do, especially not just back then, but like in this climate right now, with a lot of misinformation and a lot of mm-hmm. external players throwing misinformation not just in aviation world uh but like global geopolitical stuff like that as well but you know there is so much bad information and people really you know that's that's what we need more of is just here's some level-headed dudes who know their stuff let them talk yeah and and that was you know aside from and people ask me like you you're asking me about like the tv stuff when the times that you saw me in front of a camera so much of the work was behind the scenes with reporters and journalists coming for fact checking, you know, or I'm about to write an article. What do you think about the premise? Or, hey, Phil, I wrote an article. Can you kind of go through this and make sure that there's no garbage in here? You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of that. And I remember, I know the names and the, the publications. And it was not people like, oh, is, th- you know, this organization, are they, are they liars or are they? It all came down to the individual producers and writers and who truly was and was not a journalist because folks who were coming to me, I didn't need credit. I don't need my name in an article. If you're coming to me and you just want to know, is this right or is this wrong? You're a top-notch journalist and I have no problem helping you out. That's as much, I'm not here for promotion. I'm here to make sure things get published right. And, and there were a lot of folks who came to me just to even form their own content and review their content before it went live because they wanted it right. That's, man, that's, uh, that's some beautiful journalism right there. 
It really is, especially, yeah, just taking the time to make sure, hey, I'm doing it right instead of, oh, here's something I think is right, here's my opinion on exactly. it. Exactly. It turns out to be complete exactly. crap, but then you have a couple hundred thousand people that believe what you said. It's so easy to make some crap headline, and then all of a sudden some article about circular runways is making its way around the internet every three months oh, for God. five years. Oh, God. That's, that's, the last <laughs> that's a whole conversation in and itself. It's never going to happen, people. I'll, I'll come back. Stop. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we can have we can probably do a whole episode on circular runways. Like talk about a straight hour about that. But. I'm so glad I wrote an article about that years ago. It was one of my last articles with NYC Aviation before I, I handed it off. And I, I, it, every three months, it, Mashable passes it around, and people send it to me, and I just send a link to the article I wrote. <laughs> Someone's asked me something about chemtrails. I just send a link to the article I wrote. I love NYCA. It's just still just a great archive of here's my opinion. I don't want to talk to you about it. That kind of stuff. Yeah. There, this, there you go. Well, that's a great lead into the next segment is, so what are you doing now then? So you're not with NYC aviation. So uh, what's your current gig? Yeah. Uh, about six years ago, I moved to Southern California from New York and, uh, I needed to find a new job. I spent uh, a few years. I was working for JetBlue as a dispatcher at, at their headquarters in New York. Moved to California. And I spent a couple years jump seating between New York and San Diego every week, every other week for years uh, until I found a job out in California. Uh, for a little bit, I worked for JetSuite. People know them often as a JSX these days, a public charter organization. At the time, they I say organization, it was a company. Uh, they also had a, a private charter side. So I was a duty manager and then director of mission control for a little bit uh, there before they moved to Texas. And I you know, was looking for something. I had just finally gotten to California and uh, I was hired by the National Business Aviation Association. A uh, little bit of a conflict of interest. So I had to step away from NYC Aviation. But I'm the uh, Western Regional Representative. I handle uh, seven states out here, and it's kind of wearing the hat of a little bit of almost everything that NBAA does. So a lot of legislative work, advocacy work, helping member companies. We have over 10,000 member companies who rely on business aviation, and I have you know many of them are on the the west side over here, uh, and I have to help them out with whatever it is that they need. And I try to play play quarterback and. You know, air, airspace issues, airport issues, uh, workforce development, workforce staffing is a major problem. So I'm going to schools, I'm talking in classrooms, uh, I'm helping local and regional groups give out scholarships and things like that. So it's a lot of, lot of different work and it's a lot of fun. And I've been very fortunate to be a part of this, this organization and to jump over the business aviation side of the industry, which is, is fascinating. You know, I've, I've bounced around different corners, you know, it's like government contract, major airline, public charter, private charter. And now, you know, uh, it's all business aviation for me. So I've been fortunate to see the industry from different angles. So this this for people that don't know in the broad, like, so what is the NBA? Just kind of like an overall, like an overall thing. The National Business Aviation Association is a, a trade association that helps companies who rely on business aviation. And that is the use of general aviation for business purposes. So people always think like large corporate jets and things like that. But I mean, I, I know a guy who owns a tire shop. He owns two tire shops across state lines and he uses a Cessna 172 to go back and forth between the two. And, and he's my favorite, my favorite example. I mean, that, that's 
business aviation or corporate aviation just as much as the Fortune 50 company that has a few corporate jets that they use to fly uh, to other continents. You know, anyone who's using general aviation for business purposes, and we try to help them out because the airline industry, they're not bad guys, but they're so massive, they're so big, and, and therefore there's such a dominating presence that we need to, need to make sure that the uh, physically smaller corner of our industry which is a massive economic driver. You know, we truly enable businesses. What's, what's fascinating is that in the United States, you have, you know, 5,000 airports and a vast majority of them have little or no airline service at all. Uh, more than 80% of the air, of the airports in the U.S. don't have airline service. Uh, so, you know, a lot of small towns, uh, everyone has to re- either rely on the schedules, uh, and destinations of the airlines. Or they can take their travel into their own hands. And that's what business aviation is. You know, even for me, I can go and I can, I can drive an hour to an airport, uh, and then get on a flight and fly to an, another airport that's an hour away from where I'm really looking to go. Or I can drive a few minutes to a more local airport, not have to get there two hours early, like I do when I'm flying commercially, fly directly to a close in airport. And I'm in control of my schedule. I'm in control of my time. You know, time is money. Corporate jets are, are truly time machines. You can't book a 10-stop a, a trip through Asia on the airlines. You know, you can't, you can't do a ton of business in, in, a, in many cities uh, and, and have to spend an, an extra night in a city because the airline just doesn't have a schedule in the evening from that particular airport, let's say, uh, you know, business aviation allows people to go out and conduct business. And it's not all C-level executives. We're talking middle management. We're talking regular, you know, contract work, folks put on yellow vests and being sent to some project to handle business and still get home for dinner. You know, it's a lot of fun to, to help out with that. And it's just a little guy who owns a small business that, like I said, the guy on a 172 just has to get back and forth and has to do his thing. And you're not, you know, you're not like Apple or, or, um, like IBM yeah. that have mo- like a fleet of Gulf streams and all big that. Big and but. small, big and small. And, and it's a misconception that we constantly battle, you know, and we're, we're trying to be at the forefront of sustainability efforts, uh, you know, to make our industry more and more green, you know, business aviation is more likely to, to try the t- new technologies before the airlines get the chance to implement them. Uh, and it's, it's exciting. We're talking about urban air mobility, advanced air mobility, uh, the future of UAS. Uh, all of this stuff has a strong business aviation component. And man, it's really, I mean, we're going to look ahead and we're going to look at this in the future, we're going to look back at this time and realize that we were at this new pivotal point in, in aviation history. And I'm pretty excited to kind of have a, a close up view to it and to try to influence it, uh, in my own way. Yeah. That's, that's going to be pretty awesome to see the future of business aviation. You know, I mean, I granted, I love the G650 just as much as everybody else, but you know, I, I live next to the Nampa airport here in Idaho and I, you, you see, there's this one guy who have, I got a photo of the aircraft, but he comes back and forth. He flies a Trinidad, a Trinidad Tobago or mm-hmm. something like that. And he flies out of Burns to, to Nampa and he, he does it like a couple times, a couple times a week. Um, so there's something just like that as well. But, you know, we see Nampa airport, we see a lot of the smaller stuff come in here, you know, they'll come into the valley, do their thing. And, uh, you know, but, uh, I mean, Trust me, man. I love going to the Allen Company Business Conference out in Sun Valley, taking <laughs> photos of all those jets out there, which yep. is which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, 
um, to, to witness. That's an absolute spectacle of um, of money. I just put the, put it that way. <laughs> and, and don't don't believe what you see on Instagram. You know, people taking selfies in front of a corporate jet or a private jet or something like that. You know, a vast majority of these aircraft are used for business purposes and is a true economic driver. Uh, there are, I can name a, a bunch of large corporations that bring thousands of jobs to small towns solely because they have a nearby airport that they can transport their teams in and out of, you know, at tell, for example. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're exactly. That's, that's a good one. And there, there are many. I don't want to, you know, just throw their, start throwing names out here, but, uh, yeah. but there are many out there and, they say, hey, we don't have, you know, our small town doesn't have a waterway. We don't have a railway. We have a runway. And 3,000 people in our town are, are employed because this company can fly their, their jets in and out, uh, as opposed to driving an hour and a half or two hours, uh, to, uh, to where the airlines are. One of the things that I know this isn't related to NBA, but, uh, one of my the perfect one is the uh, just another non-existent terminal. Uh, if you know that, if you, if you know that acronym, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Janet in Vegas. Yep. yep. <laughs> Even the government does their own business aviation. No, well, they do a little little more clandestine. So yeah, but that's yeah, but that's pretty cool, man. No, I love business aviation. I love biz jets, but you know, I love general aviation. So that's a pretty pretty cool thing that you're uh, that you're doing out there at Thanks, the NBA. It's a lot of fun. So I, I enjoy uh, it. Yeah, so how about this, man? Let's finish it off with some uh, some uh, AvGeek, AvSpot, or normal questions. How do you feel about that? Bring it. All right, man. Okay, man. So what is your favorite airplane of all time? Lockheed L-1011. Oh. Uh, do we have a specific, like, are we talking, like, Delta Widget or TWA Red Stripe or? Oh, uh, man, if I really need to pick, I'd, I'd probably go with ATA. Okay. Uh, and Delta is a... Uh, Delta widget I would put right behind it. I actually just got a few days ago as an anniversary gift for my wife. I got uh, one of those Moto Art keychains of a Hawaiian L1011. Oh, and wow. Hawaii has some personal reference for us. But I looked back at the specific registration and it used to be a Delta widget L10. So like, man, this is really cool. That's pretty and cool. Now I have a physical piece of it in my hand. You know, and growing up near LaGuardia, I would always see the L10s and I knew what they were at the time. I just didn't realize that how how much I would miss them. I didn't realize that it would be gone one day. And, uh, you know, now living in Southern California, I have close-ish access to, to the only... Yep, the only flying L-1011 in the world. You know, 140 Sierra Charlie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I can... Sometimes they send it to San Bernardino Airport, and I can just take a quick drive, and even while parked, just to be able to go up to it and just see that is just incredible to me. So uh, where I live, having left New York, not to off topic from that, you know, but having left New York, I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I won't see airplanes anymore. I see 707s, L1011s. I see, I see some really rare stuff out here that New York City does not get. Some DC specialized DC9s that are still flying out there. Yep. Um, CRJ900. Granted, those are pretty still calm, but... MD87s doing firefighting work. Oh, man. That's why uh, I love fire season, man. That's especially one last thing about you know retired airliners, second yeah. life, fire bombers. You know, the BE-146s, yeah. uh, MD-87s, 737-300s. I hate needing them because, you know, I get fires not too far from where I live. Where I, My home is pretty safe from fires, but they have been very, very close by to me putting out fires. And I, 
I hate needing them, but I love seeing them too. Yeah. Fire aviation is fascinating, and what a it really is such heroic work. It's incredible. It is, you know. I mean, I was just over in the Mojave in March with my buddy Chris McGreevy, and uh, you know, I got to see Star. I mean, granted, she wasn't flying, which we're kind of like, come on, yeah, we know you want to go for <laughs> do some currency flights, but just able to see it like with the engines, with it, you know, still plugged in. Yeah. This is still incredible to see, and. You know, that airport, while it was really cool, is they uh, apparently Omega had pulled an old 7.0 out of the boneyard that they're actually restoring to flight so they can use as a tanker. Yeah. And like, there, and like, there's still one 707 that flies. Omega has a 707. It's 707 Mike Quebec. And they're working on a second one, I understand, to bring I in. I thought they had two that were flying and then they're they, working on a third one. They own, uh, There's only one that's flying. They retired one just a little over a year ago. Oh, okay. And, uh, 707 Mike Quebec right now at the time of this recording is the only one that's still flying, but they own like five or six airframes. I think some are for parts, but I think that they're putting, trying to put one back in a service and they're also about to put, they have another flying. They have one 707 and one DC 10 and they're about to put another, uh, a few for a few more DC 10s, which are from the Netherlands. Uh, yep. So I think they've they bought three. They're gonna fly two with one for parts. I could be wrong, but it's something like that. I think they have they bought their the both of their KDC tens and they're gonna use them both as tankers and they have some uh, parts out of the boneyard that they can pick from. But I mean at the end of the day, back to the seven L is the Omegas, they're not like KC one thirty five seven oh sevens. They are legitimate passenger 707s that have been converted which is like if you're not an aviation nerd and that doesn't get you excited you're not a true aviation nerd about yeah, seeing another 707 going in the air for being you know and happening to live near march air reserve base where the omegas come in where you know there's always an omega on the ground dc 10 or 707 they cycle in and out to be able to come out here and see a 707 uh, with frequency on it like that is incredible, you know. And again, thank you to the technology that's out there that I can see when it's coming and going, so I can run out to my driveway for three minutes and take short breaks from work or something to to go see it. That is incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, how lucky am I? And I own a, also another keychain from November eight eight Zulu Lima, which is a private seven hundred seven that I've seen a bunch of times. Saw for the first time at that two thousand four LAX event as well. And, you know, I, I now own, I own a physical piece of it. I have it. I'm touching it right now. So, <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, like that kind of stuff is, is huge to be able to still get to see some of these super rare aircraft in my own way out here. Yeah. Um, so back when you were still spotting a ton, what was your favorite aircraft to take a photo of back in the, back in the time? If, if you had one or. Hmm. Uh, like I said, I was chasing that Trump 727 a lot. Um, but in terms of, uh, I'm trying to think of something that was a little bit more aesthetic and I think the United battleship scheme at the time was really it. Oh yeah. Uh, that good, that, that real rich gray. And if you could nail that, you know, on a seven, four or a seven, five, uh, for some reason it didn't look too good in the Airbus. It did not look good on the Airbus, but triple seven two hundred man. Ooh, yeah, yeah, they're just good. Even you know, it didn't have this super shine. There was just something about it. Just a really, it was a really good looking. It looked look great. And yeah, like, I mean, same with the Northwest Bowling shoe. That gray and red just works so well. 
Yeah, what, I think I think some of the greatest photos from the early two thousands were the uh, Northwest seven forty seven four hundred photos taking off from Howard Beach at JFK, just that big bank, and you know where you can see two both engines on the far side on top of the fuselage, big bank making the big turn off of uh, uh, three one left, and man, like that, you know. So Northwest was another big one. Uh, I didn't get too many too many shots of those, but I think that United was was very uh, very aesthetic. Yeah, no, I I agree. I wish I I think I had maybe one decent CRJ seven hundred shot that survived the blue mm. tulip and like went right to the merger. And it's like one of my really early photos, <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, damn. I got a couple handful of blue tulips, but yeah. That's my answer because although, I mean, I'm trying to be not biased toward ATA. Everything was always ATA. <laughs> that, because of ATA 737-800s, I mean, the, they were, I think they were the, the launch for the 738 winglets. So when they started really? coming into LaGuardia and you're getting, you're, you know, they're coming in. I mean, winglets were not a thing back then, except for the, like a, a CRJ 200. I mean, the winglets Ugh. were not a thing. Blended winglets didn't exist. And all of a sudden... ATA 738s are showing up midway to LaGuardia back and forth and they're coming in. I mean, that was, that's what clinched it for me at the time for ATA. Like, oh man, the, I, uh, I loved it. It looked like, you know, you, I think the, the front of a lot of aircraft look like they have, they look like faces and, you know, to have a wing, wings which look like arms and then winglets, winglets that look like hands at the end of it. It just, that's kind of what it was. It was just, yeah. uh, it was kind of, a. uh, uh creating a a human uh, a human look to that aircraft i just love the Mm -hmm. aesthetic of of adding winglets so ata number one bias but then after that united battleship oh yeah well it's it's kind of the same thing with the split scimitars you know when the split scimitars came out that was like oh my god you know this is incredible and then we were all like oh with a split scimitar wing a split scimitar winglet i remember when i was in portland in 2014 starting my first airline job for training Alaska had like three or four scimitar winglet aircraft and they all come to Portland one night and I'm like going, Oh wow. Look at split scimitar. And now it's just like, where are the regular winglets? Yeah. Kind of that, you know, that paradox again that we talked about earlier, but <laughs> what one uh, tip to any, any younger enthusiast, whatever airplane you hate the most right now, you are Take going photos to of be it. hunting for in 10 or 15 or 20 years when it's on its way out. Rare will always be appealing, and that ugly, that ugly, ugly plane that you hate, you're gonna want to see it again at some point. You're all, there's gonna be some time that you wish you got to see it. I, I prime example. Um, I used to hate the Alaska Panded CRJ 700s, and now looking back at those, I'm like, I am so glad I got photos of those because they weren't yeah. over, they were around for like for three or four, five, maybe maybe five years. And they're only flying on the West Coast. And I'm like, uh, Horizons, the Horizon Q400s, for example, and the whole Alaska livery, they're all gone now. And I have ample photos of those. And I was like, wow. Um, and you now some of the other spe- call specials that are going away. I, I just hope the Boise State airplane isn't going away anytime soon. Didn't need to repaint that one. But that's I'm biased towards that. The other day, I flew home from Seattle on Alaska Airlines on a non-ER 737-900. No winglets on the wing. Oh, one of the prototypes. Yeah, I couldn't believe that there... I I was look, I looked out the window, and I just saw a 7-3, obviously, with no winglet. And I'm like, 
I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden I start racking my brain. I start thinking, I, I forgot, you know, that about their, their 900s. I, I didn't know what type, what version I was supposed to be on. I'm like, is it like a 737-600? They got rid of those. What, 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 where's the winglet? I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a 900 with no winglets. It's one of the early birds. That's incredible. Alaska was a launch for the 900. Yeah. And man, I, it was so weird to look at. I mean, you know, a 7.3 or even a 7.5 that doesn't have winglets, you don't really notice that too much these days. It's pretty cool, too, because I got to fly, you know, because Boise, Seattle, they send them into Boise for the night also. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're flying, even though they have the updated seats, it's still, you know, the, it's just the aesthetic, the ambience of the cabin. It has the old yellow lights, the old overheads. It has that buzz in the PA <laughs> yeah. system that I know if you float old aircraft, you know that buzz that all those old aircraft have. Um, I'm seeing it at the DC-9 specifically. We used to fly Northwest Airlines a lot, 7-2s and DC-9s. I remember that buzz that always was was in, you know, that always is in the PA system, that old school buzz. Yeah. Like Also like uh, headsets too, you know, like when pilots were talking, you always tell the difference between if it's a, M, like a, a DC-9 or MD-80 coming in anything else because of their headset radio transmission sounded so different than anything else those minor details and it, i don't think i think most people wouldn't would never notice that it only only we pick yeah. up on that stuff i think yeah it's, uh, but it's true i mean it had the old interior the seats were new it had power outlets but the the overhead bins were old school yeah and uh yeah it's awesome it was crazy you get a step back you yeah. know get a step back and like 20 years like 20 years ago this this was this was this the standard 20 years ago that was it with yeah. i think more comfortable seats but i digress i, yeah. I think the older <laughs> seats were a lot more comfortable like you know they're like the bigger plushier and all that yeah that's, that's my personal opinion because i know delta still had some of the old school northwest interiors like up until like three years ago before they re-retrofitted everything and man i flew i was flying with my mom we went to milwaukee for the day uh, and steer her hometown and we flew out there and we flew on an MD-90 going out from Boise to Minneapolis, which was amazing. And then we flew on, a, on an A319 with the new interior from Minneapolis to Milwaukee. Well, flying back from Milwaukee to Minneapolis, we're on an A320 with the old school seats. Oh, it's a thousand times more comfortable, I thought. And then... yeah. Then we got to fly another MD-90 from Minneapolis to Boise, and the flight was wide open. I'm like, can I go sit near the engine? She's like, why? You're, you're, you have an economy comfort seat. I'm like, I'm an aviation geek. I had to sit by the engine. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I definitely have my preferences based on uh, enthusiast wants well, for my experience, for sure. Looking back on that now, the MD-90 is dead. It is gone i mean and we talk about md md80s they're still floating around the md90 is dead it is gone it is done unless everett's converts it to a freighter but it is done right <laughs> so yeah i mean i got video of the taken off with the engine right in the back and like i can i will never replicate that ever again so yeah uh, I could. I mean, I have memories about. I remember the last time I saw like a, a Fokker seventy or anything from that family of twenty eight seventy one hundred. Oh yeah. Like my last Fokker seventy. I know the last time I saw that. The last time I saw a BAC one eleven. Uh, the last time I saw like these aircraft that which are just we'll never see again. But I, I have all of those specific memories of what mm-hmm. you know the last time that I saw these things, yeah. and that's why I make sure I run outside every single time that omega 707 goes overhead because outside of the u.s military 
right now, that one Omega 707 is the only civilian 707 flying in the world. And that... Uh, I was thinking about Iran. But Iran retired. Their but that's last, military. They're all military. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, civilian, civilian-owned 707. Omega is the only one in the world. India has some military 707s, and the U.S. has them in a few... Uh, Specialized e3, capacities, yeah. Yeah, E3 and E8s are uh, 707 airframes. What's really cool about the, the J-Stars aircraft, they're all former Canadian Air Force ones from like like the 60s and the 70s. And I didn't still know that, going. really. Yeah, if you look back, so if you go look on airliners, you know, what's funny, airliners, when I was a kid, I used to print off all the airliners.net photos and put them in a binder. From back in the day, so that's kind of a little tidbit there. But we used to print them off to show them to cops to show them what we were doing <laughs> before they put you in the back of the car. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that, uh, but yeah, if you go on airliners and you like, you look up one of the, the serial numbers for the J Stars, and you click on that serial model serial mm-hmm. number line number, you go back far enough. There are some of them that were in the wow. old school Canadian seventies, uh, sixties uh, striping. Yeah. So wow. they're old, what they're old, whatever their nomenclature was for their refuelers. But yeah, then the U.S. Air Force bought them and converted to the J Stars program. Wow. I so, didn't know that. Yeah. Hey, learn something new every day, right? Yeah. So it's pretty wild. So back when you were still spotting, did you have, ever have like a least favorite aircraft to take a photo of? Or was this like, oh, God, here it comes again. I'm not going to pull my camera off this. And I know, you know, your your memory cards back in the early days, and you know, if you had an eight gigabyte card, you were, the, you were <laughs> hot shit. If you had an eight gig card. <laughs> yeah. But that was exactly you try to get that that eight gig. Uh, yeah, you weren't a real a real uh, photographer unless you had some eight gig action going on. Um, most CRJs by aircraft type, it was usually CRJs. Yeah, uh, they were just annoying. Uh, honestly, actually, I, I, the ERJs are probably less aesthetically pleasing than a CRJ, and. You know, if I was living in New York, I feel I'd, I would even, I might even spot even less a LaGuardia because it's all, yeah, it's all, I don't ERJs want to see CRJs. And CRJs yeah. and the- even the larger CRJs, I mean, I'm glad I don't got to fly on the CRJ 200s much anymore, but uh, the, the CRJ 9s are much more comfortable from a passenger perspective. But agreed. It's just not an aesthetically Completely pleasing agreed. aircraft. I love the Airbus 220. Uh, I think that's a man for a small aircraft. That is what a gorgeous the plane. A two twenty, I think, it will revolutionize passenger travel. And I, I know I say that right now. And on Delta, Delta's killing it with their two twenties right now. They, I mean, I think yeah. you know, I'm a big Max fan. I love the seven three Max. I defended it during its grounding and all that. The aircraft itself, not some of the Boeing antics that went on to that could have prevented all those disasters. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, that the A2, I flew on the A220 on Delta's first West Coast routing from San Jose to Seattle. That aircraft, I think, is better than the MAX. And I have yet to fly on a, on a Neo, uh, 321 Neo, 320 Neo. So I can't say if it's better than a Neo because I haven't flown on the, uh, the Neo yet. But I honestly think the A220 is one is is the greatest, is on probably the best narrow body on the market right now. And all people are going to say, ooh, it's, supposed to, it's not supposed to cute to 7.3 or stuff like that. Well, stuff's changing right now, right? If, if an aircraft <laughs> yeah. could get, like we just talked about, smaller airports, right? If an aircraft get into a smaller airport that opens up a new market, new market means more revenue for the airlines, which means that that aircraft is actually doing what it's supposed to do. Yep. So, but it's true. 
Um, and on Jet, what? So is JetBlue just they have they started flying theirs in IOC for uh, initial operation capacity? I'm not sure. I've uh, I'm behind on what's going on at JetBlue and uh, going on in the East Coast over there. So I know they have uh, them. They have them. I don't know if they're actually flying scheduled routes yet with them though. And and it's tough not being. It's been you know well well over four years since I've been at JetBlue and to see you know the new 321s and service to europe you know i would love to have dispatched back over the ocean again uh it's pretty exciting to see what, what's going on over there but uh but that 220 is an exciting bird it really is and like that three the old 321 neo xlr like boeing really dropped the ball not getting a 75 replacement because that xlr will kill the 757 my hands are raised right now with a big thank you because i agree i've been preaching that 75 thing for years uh i think still you know none of the new the max or or the new 321s are bringing the same payload uh the same power everything and even range at like the 757 200 was such an amazing, amazing aircraft, and I cannot believe the moment that they dropped that program was the moment that all the airlines started saying, "But we kind of want that for the this ocean." This seven five seven is the greatest passenger aircraft ever made. I, man, I agree. It, I it, agree. It is, and the only thing—I mean, granted—nothing will ever, unless Boeing says, "Okay, by the way, we still had some of the tooling in in a shed. We'll we'll go bring it out, right?" Unless they say that. <laughs> You know, the only thing on the market that can compete with the weight to passenger ratio or the cargo to passenger ratio is at 321 XLR, which yeah. even United's like, hey, we don't want to get rid of the 5.7s, right? You know, yeah. but our hands are kind of tied. You know, yeah. Max Max 10 won't be able to do it. Max 10 has less nope. range than Max 9. The, yeah, the, the range aspect of it. Uh, the 7.3, even the Max, it's still a low-rider aircraft. I mean, you're talking about a, a design from the 60s made before jet bridges. So, I mean, the you know, yeah. first 737s had stairs coming out the front. It was low to the ground. That's why the, the 737-800, uh, it has an angle of attack threat uh, or a tail strike threat because it's so low to the ground. The nose can only go up so much before they, they risk uh, striking the tail. Yeah, and because of that, their approach speed is faster. They're, if they go into LaGuardia on a wet runway, you know, you're talking about a single bogey aircraft where the seven five has a double bogey, twice the brakes. Uh, I mean, the seven five is just a stronger performing aircraft. For, so to try to do the seven fives work with this low rider single bogey. Max ten, I I don't I'll never never understand that you know and it's uh it's frustrating, it's heartbreaking. You it, know? it it also if you think about it too, I mean I'll even say that the seven three stems. I mean obviously the seven three stems from the seven two, but I'd even argue that the seven three was stemmed from the seven zero. You know, yeah. It's you know it's the seven three is still Boeing's first narrow body jet design from the seven zero. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's why I go back to the A220. The A220 is a clean slate aircraft. It, it's granted, even like the 320, like the 320 Neo family is still an aircraft from the 70s, designed in the 70s. Yep. You know, but you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe Boeing has something that they're going to release here in the next couple of years. And but we'll, you know, I'm not going to speculate on that. But you know, but right now, just the best option for these airlines will be the 321 XLR, and I'm excited to see what new markets open that up. And you know, we'll see what happens. 
I'm going to keep bitching and moaning about the 7.5, I think. <laughs> well, I will too, obviously. I mean, granted, the 7.57 will never go away in freighter service. Like, like you know, you know, you know what? Those 5.7s, come on, FedEx, UPS, we'll, we'll take them. It'll be like the DC-3s are still, some DC-3s are still sticking around in some that's, parts of the world uh, 70, is, 80 years later. Oh, man, that's that's one aircraft that one day I will I will fly on one of those one day if I if I'm able to, oh I don't want to fly on it I don't oh, want to get on to, those oh things, my god <laughs> you I would love to fly on one of those holy crap I, I always tell Jeremy I have a list of the aircraft that I would not fly on <laughs> and I don't know you know you know it's kind of I know we're off topic right now but the one airline or one aircraft that I would have really wanted to fly on a couple years ago and I know I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this is the um I, I ran air 747 SP. That would have been awesome, I thought. Or, I mean, from an aviation safety perspective, I'd be down for it. From a, am I going to become a hostage afterward? Maybe still worth it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, now, the other thing, too, is I actually have a Canadian passport. I'm a dual citizen, so True. I, can, I can get away with that for like 30 seconds. When we would stay overseas uh, with uh, with North American, we go to other countries and the crews. Everyone seemed to have like a Toronto Blue Jays hat to wear around the city, so they wouldn't be considered Americans. <laughs> Smart. Um, and I, you know, when Jeremy got to fly on what is the um, beam in Bangladesh DC ten, yeah. I'm like, it's the story he told about that with the dudes chain smoking in the cockpit, and yep. I'm like, I can only imagine the maintenance record on that aircraft is probably not the best <laughs> i remember I mean, that uh the faa would meet that aircraft at jfk on arrival almost all the time to check it and i swear they were raining parts on approach that plane that plane was uh i couldn't believe that they were able to maintain good uh good uh, reputation with the the faa for as long yeah, as they did in the they US. Weren't, black, weren't blacklisted yeah yeah that's pretty incredible yeah but yeah it's you know yeah, I think this right now, like you said perfectly, is start flying and taking photos of stuff that you think is common now because it won't never be. Know. But uh, so, what about this? What about the rarest aircraft you've ever seen or taken a photo of? Uh, I think the rarest one is a. It was a seven oh seven. I was in uh, Kyrgyzstan, and there was a seven oh seven painted like a light blue, and it had a yellow nose, and. It was just weird, just the only, just weird, you know, even at the time, it was 2006 or 2007, at the time, 707s were already incredibly rare, and I, I read that it was, uh, I still don't know who owned it, but that registration was apparently smuggling arms between Angola and the uh, Russian satellite states, <laughs> and that was one of the, and I was, you know, like I said, a North American with a big US flag on my tail, and just taxiing right by this thing. Uh, stuff like that. When I think about super rare, I think about a lot of stuff like that that I saw overseas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so those things. When you were when you were overseas, you still saw a lot of the old Soviet aircraft that were yep. still... Yeah. yeah. You, you name a Soviet aircraft type, I saw it. So you it was, saw, let's see, a uh, Il-18? Yeah. Yeah, many 18s. Actually... Not kidding. Uh, right in front of, and I think I have a video somewhere. I should send it to you. In front of and behind that 707 I just mentioned was an IL-18. Oh, no that, shit. That, yeah, Manus Airport, or Manas, how some people pronounce it, in uh, Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. 
uh, had there are always multiple ILA teams sitting on the ground uh, at a given time. There was what some uh, Diallo or something like that airlines. I think they operated mm-hmm. ILA teams, and and they were always at uh, Bishkek. What about I was trying to trying to go through my Soviet aircraft. Um, what was what the about- one that had the engines on top of the of the high wing aircraft? Uh, uh, what the an, it was an I think it was oh, an Antonov the Antonov 72? Seven, 72, yeah. yeah those um Are you know, ugly. every every yeah yeah very not not a great looking airplane um but yeah so many of the uh tu 134s 54s uh yeah 50 there and actually uh Bishkek had a little airline graveyard of their own it wasn't too big, but there were just all the old old Russian metal was sitting there. No, the only thing I think I've never seen I... with my own eyes was a trident, which is not Russian, but just I think yeah. Uh, I remember seeing VC tens, the uh, Royal Air Force VC ten at Aud Air Base, and I was like, whoa! Like I, I, I knew at that moment it was the first and most likely the last time I would ever see a VC ten. I think. I think my my grandfather, because my grandfather has some old photos from Bolton Airport in Toronto back in the 60s, so he has some old Air Canada DC-8s. I think he has a photo of a BOAC one. Really? In Toronto. Yeah, I wanted to ask him about that, but... They used to come into JFK, so I don't know if I ever consciously saw one as a child. I don't know what year that was happening. I probably did, (laughs) but but I never consciously saw one. I remember... I was uh, one of our seven sixes where we were at Al-UD Air Base and we had a seven six that was broken and they had us parked out on this little remote apron uh, near the beginning, beginning of one of the runways. And I just heard this noise that I like, ah, uh, that doesn't sound like anything I know. And I walked a few steps and a VC 10 flies by and I just couldn't. Could not believe it. Because I mentioned those books when I was a kid. Like the four little... There were like four books in my local library that had airplanes. It had a, you know, a few aircraft types. And one of them was a VC-10. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen one of these. you know. So I, I knew about a VC-10 since I was like six. But I had never seen it. And to see that, that was a big deal. And I have a little Gemini model of a VC-10 yeah. here at home just because of that. Like, man, I get to see one of those things. That's yeah. This some aircraft, man. And you know, it's kind of funny how, like, the last like I wouldn't say the Illusion sixty two was copied from from the VC ten. I know it's like a, a design back in the day, but you know, still seeing that Illusion. That's like my number one. Okay, <laughs> my number one to catch that Sands SP in Las Vegas. Like that is number one. Getting this trip in the background. <laughs> yep. But number two is getting that Illusion sixty two. That is like I know I have to go. I will have to. I have to travel for that, but. This just something about that aircraft for me is like I grew up in high school, like watching these Wings of Russia videos, but watching all these, old, like learning about all these Soviet built aircraft. And I thought the Soviets that was just so cool, you know, being here, raised in the U.S. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, if 747 comes to Boise right now, I'll, I'm there. Like, <laughs> I will be there. Um, but yeah, it's, that's so cool to see all that, all that stuff. And this, that, running arms, man, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely that is I'm gonna put that definitely on top of the story <laughs> on, on this on that. So I've seen a few sixty twos too. I think Ukraine and Russia for uh UN week in JFK. So I was gonna ask something I wanted to bring up. So have you ever so what's UN week like over at JFK? <sighs> Super Bowl. 
Super Bowl. There's just no, and I don't think there's any place in the world quite like it where you can just show up and, you know, you get to see an Iran 707 showing up, uh, any kind of old stage two aircraft. Um, these, you know, seeing 737s coming from Africa that have the antenna wire from the nose to the tail. Uh, just crazy stuff, you know? Uh, yeah. Filthy planes. I mean, these are these other countries, Air Force Ones, and their planes look like they were parked on a behind the airport for 20 years and they just put it back in the service just to be able to show up to UN Week. Some of them are just filthy. Some of them are gorgeous. Uh, Bahrain 74 SP, Yemeni 74 SP. I mean, oh, you know, that one got destroyed in the war, too, just, which is sad. Yeah, yeah, but you start seeing these birds like when you see three different 74 SPs in one day, more than like the cargo DC 10s coming into JFK. I mean, that's a it's a very special thing. And honestly, I haven't been there in a few years, you know, I haven't done UN week in a couple of years in New York, so I don't know. I mean, most of those SPs are long gone, we're not going to see those 707s. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how much more exciting it is these days, but it's, uh, man, that was, it was wild. It was such a, and again, no technology. It was such a crapshoot. Let's see what crazy crap shows up. That's all. Yeah. God, one day, one day I'm going to do it. I might, yeah, we'll see if I can do it this year. Probably not, but I do want to be out there for. It usually conflicts with the, uh, spotting, uh, event at LAX. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, if it's like, hey, you know, Putin's coming in, and you know, Putin's going to bring his all support aircraft, and you know, some because I know the uh, Il sixty two M's are still used for his support aircraft. Yep. And, uh, you never know, with Kubana, whatever they bring yeah. in. Hell, if Kim Jong Un shows up, God, yeah. God, God knows what that's going to be. <laughs> I'm going to send you a video of of me landing in Kyrgyzstan. And you'll see on a taxiway parked on there, you'll see that 707 I'm talking about. You'll see IL-18s and you'll see an IL-62 all lined up. It was, it's like eight seconds of enthusiasm insanity. Yeah, just just your jaw dropping like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's pretty wild. Well, that's pretty cool, Dad. So what about... uh you have any other spotting stories or just aviation stories in general you want to share with us? um, One story that always pops up is uh, when I started working for North American and I was a loadmaster for them, I spent a couple years flying nonstop. I didn't get a lot of time to to plane spot during that time. And I had finally switched roles. I became an operations controller at North American working in the office for the the rest of my four years with that company. I uh, became a dispatcher uh, shortly thereafter in North American. But I was so excited to go plane spotting. And I was with two of my buddies and we're on the College Point shoreline, which is kind of like a hill that goes to Flushing Bay. It was pretty muddy. And we got to the top of this little embankment, probably 20, 30 feet down, little dirt, muddy kind of hill until a, to a rocky shoreline. And you stand on the shoreline, you get some great skyline shots. I'm like, I'm telling you, morning, this is the spot. The sun's behind us. This is it. They stopped at the top of this little hill and they looked at it like they didn't want to go down. I'm like, come on, guys, just do it. Just, you know, I let some some toxic masculinity, be a man stuff creep in. But I kind of like, come on, guys, get over it. Just go down the hill. And I stepped down and I slid down the hill and a broken Corona bottle went through my hand. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and I looked down and I just, I opened my thumb and I just could see into my hand and I was like, and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, 
no. <laughs> and I climbed back up the hill with one hand and had to go to the hospital and I had to have surgery to repair my nerves. Oh my God. And, uh, yeah, it was me, uh, Tom Alfano and Matt Molnar that day. And yeah, that, that's a, that's a spotting story. So on top of getting arrested, having plane spotting related surgery, uh, damn, stuff like that. But I remember times like cops, like, Sitting at uh, outside Boston Market near uh, Rockway Boulevard, watching JFK, middle winter, just freezing. Uh, you just sit and look at a plane. You look. Uh, this one time, I looked down and eat a bite of a whatever burger I had, and I swear, in eight seconds, I look up and we're surrounded by six Nassau County cops. Like they rolled oh. up on us, and Damn. Uh, they let us go. But I mean, it was like zero degrees. It was so cold, uh, but just braving the elements, I mean, all these little things. I mean, I could go, I could go on forever with different spotting stories, and they usually involve uh, friends and good people that I was with, great memories. Like I said, LAX in two thousand four, to see so many uh, plane spotters converge in one area. That was I'll never, never forget that. That was one of the greatest weeks ever. But yeah, but I'm I'm gonna go with my uh, my right thumb is still a little numb from that. <laughs> today that's awesome well i want to be respectful of your time i know we kind of went a little long but so let's start wrapping it up man uh do you have any words tips or words of encouragement for the listener enjoy the people as much as the planes and uh think about the you know aviation history you know, the what we see today and what we take for granted now will be gone and uh just enjoy that welcome others you'll you'll find don't be so competitive for hits and likes and views uh, share your information and your skills with others. You, you'll enjoy this hobby so much more. Uh, you can you can be competitive without being exclusive, and I think that's that's really important for uh, younger enthusiasts. You know, I'm glad that uh, the hobby and the interest continues. Yeah, I completely agree, man. Completely agree. So, where can uh, people find? I know we always we talk about NYCA for your older uh, articles and stuff like that. But if people want to go find some of your work or reach out to you, uh, where's the place to do it at? Uh, Phil Derner on Twitter. Phil Derner on Instagram. I have an aviation account on Instagram. I don't post too much, honestly. Uh, I I should pick that up, but otherwise, uh, Twitter is a good place. You can uh, anyone who wants to shoot me a message is more than welcome to do so. Um, on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you want. If you if you just Google me, you'll find my social media stuff. So uh, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. I'm I'm not, I'm not publishing a ton of stuff these days, but I definitely welcome people to uh, reach out and keep an eye on whatever opinions and random stuff I want to share. Like circular runways. Like circular runways. Those. And also, <laughs> I have one last question for you before we close sure. it out. I remember a post you did uh, on Facebook about pizza. <laughs> What is the correct type of pizza and the and this the best New York style pizza according to a New Yorker? I think the the best pizza is going to be at a Moray Pizza in Flushing Queens, uh, and it shouldn't have anything. You know, real good pizza shouldn't need any toppings, but it definitely shouldn't have more than pepperoni. Uh, otherwise, uh, I mean, Chicago deep dish pizza is tasty, but it's not pizza. It's it's casserole. <laughs> it's uh, pastaless lasagna. Uh, if it was pizza, they wouldn't need to call it deep dish pizza. It would just be called pizza. So uh, tasty, but not pizza, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I love talking trash about pizza. But honestly, if you ever go to Queens, 
there won't be too much for you, but when you're going between, uh, it's not, it's close to LaGuardia, actually. So Amore Pizza in Flushing, Queens is my favorite pizza in the world. Highly recommend it. All right, man. I just had to ask about that just because I love <laughs> that's it. That's a great way to end the show. But, uh, man, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate talking to you uh, again to pick your brand here and there. But uh, more importantly, thanks for coming on and geeking out a little bit with me for the past hour and 45 minutes. Oh, it's my pleasure. Looking at the other guests that you've had and everything like that, I'm in, I'm in great company. Really appreciate you uh, wanting to reach out and hear what I have to say. A couple of weeks ago, I was like, man, I need a new guest on here soon. I'm like, you know what? I think I know the perfect person, and man, it's. I think people are hopefully just absolutely just loved what he had to talk about. He had a great perspective on things. So, um, now thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Be safe, man. Thank you. All right, guys, we're back here in the studio, aka my office, with some padding. Uh, but man, holy crap, wasn't that a phenomenal interview? That was just awesome, wasn't it? Just to hear someone who started out just taking photos and making NYCA and just becoming, this, just entwining himself in the aviation field with just him being an act as an av geek as well. Um, I cannot thank Phil enough to take time out of his extremely, extremely busy schedule to come talk with me here on the AVSP. And uh, thank you again, Phil. I know you are a listener to the show, and I, I really appreciate your support and some of your stature and caliber listens to this. So thank you again, Phil. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I didn't want to do a two-part episode because a little bit after Christmas, the last episode of 2021, so I just said, you know what, let's just roll it. But um, anyway, guys, that's going to do it for me here for uh, until next year, till 2022. Then we're really going to get going. But I do have one last little announcement. Uh, if you guys do follow me on social media, you do know that uh, two days ago I did propose to now my fiance, uh, Miss Ashley. So um, I just want to say that as well. So. If, Hopefully this podcast continues going with uh, her and I, and uh, but uh, a little bit for now. We are have a little some vacations planned here and there, so uh, I will try and get some uh, get some uh, episodes out while we're doing that. And I do have a couple air shows planned as well. So all you guys in the U.S., unfortunately, I'm not making it to Riyadh this year. For all you European guys, I'm sorry, uh, but I do have a couple air shows in the U.S. planned. Uh, I'm, Gonna wait till everything's finalized. One of my ones I was gonna go to did cancel. Uh, the Wings Over Wayne show, unfortunately, did cancel. So when we get a little closer to these shows, I'll uh, let you guys know. So if you're in the area, please, I'd love to meet all meet, meet you guys as much as I can. Uh, but anyway, guys, uh, if you have any recommendations for the show uh, or any profiles or people that you would want to see come on here and talk aviation with me here on the AVSP, uh, send me an email askspotterspodcast at gmail.com. Go send me a DM on the Facebook page and go check out the Facebook page as well, guys. And uh, DM me, BOI Spotter, Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, App Spotters Podcast, um, all that good stuff, guys. And uh, like again, if anybody knows out there how to make a website, please talk to me because I am, I am not that tech savvy when it comes to websites. So anyway, guys, have a happy new year. Have a safe end to 2021 and i wish you guys the very best in beginning of 2022 and as always 
get those batteries charged and those cameras ready and we'll catch you on the flip side next year on the aviation spotters podcast